we had a big debate of should we be slowing down? Everything you read says conserve cash, make sure you got 24 or 36 months of cash. My only caution is I don't think you can apply that universally. Hello and welcome to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and I will be your host today. Now you might notice I did not say host and bartender. That's because we are doing a variation on SaaS Half Full today. I had the chance to sit down in person with Mike Fitzgerald, partner at High Alpha, for a fireside chat in our Broad Ripple Indianapolis office. We had our whole team there to listen to him explain how the current state of the economy might be affecting our SaaS clients, as well as trends in VC investing, how that shifted from the bonkers universe it was in 2021 to some potential downturn that we're seeing in 2022. So while Mike and I were not sharing a drink, I certainly encourage you to grab one of your own for the next 20 minutes or so and listen as I have an in-person conversation with Mike Fitzgerald, partner at High Alpha. Welcome to Blast Media's new HQ. I love it. What do you think? I love it. I got I just got the nickel tour all the way around. It's beautiful. Very cool. Well, we're excited to have you. Thank you for spending your time with us. I was just diving into High Alpha Capital. We'll talk about both, but I didn't personally realize how many High Alpha Capital companies we've touched over the years. There's 15 different companies um, that we have worked with and ones that uh, were a surprise to me, but we are even more interwoven with high alpha than I even thought. Yes. So this will be fun. Yes. Before we dive in to some of our topics, I want to make sure everyone understands the difference between high alpha studio, mm-hmm. high alpha capital, and your role with each. Yep. So could we start there? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me too. I'm happy, happy to be here. Good to see all of you, some familiar faces and a lot of new folks. Blast has grown over the years. So it's good to see you all. The easiest way to think about Alpha is kind of one platform with two pieces, and we work really hard to operate as one. So if you visit us down at our office, you walk in and just see a group of people. There's not distinct lines, but Alpha Studio is a company that starts other companies. So we started in 2015. We've got a very specific focus around business business software companies. And we just started our 33rd company since since 2015. And so that that work, uh, we've got a couple of investors that fund the studio. We've got about 45 employees, most all of whom work on studio things. And that is looking for unmet needs, researching that. Uh, We do a lot of recruiting because we bring co-founders in to help us start those businesses. And then you asked about my role. One one of my responsibilities is actually uh, forming the company. So new Delaware C Corporation, uh, new bank account, and off we go. So the studio is really that entity that goes from zero to one and, and kind of gets the company in existence. Next to that sits Alpha Capital. We're currently investing out of our third fund. So venture funds often kind of go in vintages like wine. Some of them are good. Some of them are not good. But every few years, we start a new fund. And that fund does two things. It invests in the companies that we start on the studio side. And it invests in outside companies that really fit the same profile. So again, think about High Alpha as business-to-business software. So whether we're starting a company or investing in a company, that's the swim lane that we stay in. And a number of the companies that you were, were mentioning as part of the Alpha Capital portfolio 
are just receiving money from us versus others that were started in the in the studio. And I think Blast probably works with both. Yeah, we do. Um, and it was really cool to see. And some OG clients too from back in the day were on this list. So thinking about studio as mm-hmm. starting the companies. Yes capital investing in them once they hit a certain stage of growth. And we'll get into what you look for when investing. Sure. Um, So I do want to talk a little bit about what's been going on in the investment landscape the last year, which is a lot different than what's happening this year. But 2021 was bonkers in terms of SaaS investing. Yes. Crazy high valuations, a lot of money being poured in. Wanted to get your perspective on what the drivers were of that. Let me hit your first comment first. We do an annual meeting for our shareholders. And some of you may know this, but the way a fund works is we say, hey, we want to raise a fund of $110 million, which by venture standards is actually quite small. But we kind of have two jobs with the studio and the fund. So we, we limit ourselves a little bit. We want to raise $110 million. We go out to institutional investors. Okay. So there are, for example, Notre Dame is a, is a big institutional investor at High Alpha, and they manage $12 billion in the Notre Dame endowment. They put some of that in, I'm sure, gold and some of it in stocks, public stocks, et cetera. And they put some of it in, in venture firms. So that's an example of somebody who invests in us. Once a year, we get all of our investors together, LPs, limited partners, and we have a meeting. We have an annual meeting. It's next week. Last year at the annual meeting, confetti and balloons. And we ate really nice food at that meeting. And I wrote this down. We, we put up a slide on the best venture partners does a cloud index and it's all the public cloud companies, kind of the best proxy for the work that we do. And the Bessemer uh, cloud index was up 172% in the three years leading up to our annual meeting last year. It was kind of a victory lap. We were all high-fiving and quite excited we were able to talk about nine of our portfolio companies that had exited, that had sold, okay, which is where we give money back to our investors. This year, next week at the annual meeting, we will put up the same slide and the BVP index is down 49% in the last six months alone. So you're right. Things have changed pretty dramatically. We can talk about maybe why that's happening, but the, the landscape is quite different today. Why was 2021 bonkers? Well, a couple of things. We were on this really incredible run of the economy growing, money you know, being cheap, interest rates. Listen to CNBC. We always talk about interest rates, right? Interest rates very low. And so venture firms like ours and the hundreds of others were raising capital and putting it to work at a pace that now I've only been doing this for eight or nine years folks who've been doing it for 30 years would say the same thing. They've never seen a pace like that. Normally, we would raise a new fund every three to five years. We were raising money every 30 to 36 months, and some firms were raising money every 24 months. Okay, So just think about your own business. If you compress something that you normally do in three to five years and you're doing it in 24 months, the cycle of things is just super fast. And what, what was driving that was companies were growing, valuations were going up, companies were exiting, being being acquired or going public. And then we're giving our investors money back. Hey, good job, invested in Socio, here's a bunch of money back. And they say, I don't want that back. I want you to reinvest it. And so, okay, let's raise another fund. So you had this flywheel that was just spinning and there was a lot of, lot of money. So if you were starting a company and you're out raising money, 
there were probably people knocking on your door saying, hey, tell, tell us what you're doing. Okay, maybe we'd like to invest in you. And, and that whole flywheel has started to slow. We are starting to see some of the effects of that uh, just in the nature of our business as well in conversations with our clients. We have a lot of new people uh, mm -hmm. here that are yep. 90 days in or less. Can you back up just a little bit and talk about how valuations are that based on growth. So let's say I, when I mean, you mentioned your new company mm -hmm. um, may not have a lot of revenue, may have some projections, certainly may not be making any profit. How were these companies getting these large valuations and money? I think that what has happened in the last 24 months going right up to today, the easiest way to explain that at the early stage is very, very simply supply and demand, right? If you think about a financing of an early stage company, it's just making a market. You're starting a business, you need capital. Are there two people out there that would consider funding your business or are there 25 people that are out there that, that might consider funding your business? If there's two, we've got a lot of leverage, right? I mean, you need to impress both of us and we're also gonna decide what terms we invest in your business on. But if there's 25 of us, you have the control. You might say, mm, I didn't like him, but boy, I like Lindsay a lot. Let's go with her. So that is fundamentally what affects valuations at the early stage. You don't have any revenue. You don't have a product. You may have nine employees, right? I mean, it's how can I decide how much your business is worth? You haven't really done anything yet. Okay, that's all of that is true. But if you've got 25 people that want to put money into your business, you might say, hmm, I would like a $20 million pre-money valuation. And I might say, oh, gosh, I need to put money to work. I need to do my job. 20 sounds rich. What am I going to do? I've been told no six times in the last three months. I got to put money to work. And so that's what was happening is we say, okay, 20 million, let's do it. And you say, okay, good. You got a business that's worth $20 million. Don't have a product or a customer yet, but, <laughs> but my business is worth $20 million. And let me tell you, 20 million is low for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. There were businesses that were funded on ideas and, you know, good people, but that supply and demand really put all of the juice with the entrepreneurs starting the business. And investors were elbowing each other to put money in at a $20 million valuation. Then you also had a situation where they might be later stage companies. Maybe you have a, a couple hundred employees and there's still this idea of potential and you're getting money based on growth and projections. So yes. uh, money's being put in, teams are being scaled up quickly, a lot of hiring, a lot of investments in technology for your business. And then fast forward to now June of yes. 2022, yes. where I'm glad you said, I think you said 46%. I had seen you know roughly 40%. Uh, just so far in the first half of the year, no dive in the yeah. amount of investments being made in SaaS companies. But now valuations are being looked at a little bit differently and are based on profit as yeah. opposed to growth yes. and potential. Yeah. So very different way of looking at it. Talk to us a little bit about what we're seeing now. And do you think it ultimately this is the better way? I think if kind of the first illustration is about supply and demand and just saying, you know, how many people are out there putting money in? Well, a lot of those same people are still there. So it's not like we've gone down to two people. But now, starting with interest rates, going to public company valuations, like we just said, all that stuff has kind of come down back to earth. Those are markers for or proxies for the way that we would think about investing in a company. Because if public companies are valued at 20 times revenue, 
then I can justify paying 10 times revenue for your new growth business when you have some revenue, right? We, we said you didn't have any. So in a competitive market where I have to put money to work, I'm going to pay up for things that may not hold up in a spreadsheet or on paper. I'm, I'm betting on the come. So the second lesson is just about timing, which says in an environment like 2021, with money being cheap and valuations being high and public companies soaring, I'm making long-term bets. I believe that your business is going to grow and is going to be, be profitable. And I've got a 36-month horizon. I don't really care what you do in the next 12 months. I'm betting on you for 24 months and 36 months down the road. Now, let's reverse all those things. Interest rates going up, public company valuations coming down. Now, my time horizon is very different. I don't know if you're going to survive 36 months, okay? So I am now going to look at what are we going to do in the next six months or 12 months? You have nine employees. Maybe you should try doing it with seven and see if we can kind of, if we can crawl and then walk and then run. Whereas previously I was like, look, yeah, I, if you think you can run now, go ahead. You've got enough cash. You've got enough runway, figure it out. Today's very, very different. So I, I think there's a lot being written. It's become quite in vogue for venture firms to publish their presentation or their document about how the sky is falling. My partner, Christian, calls it the chicken littles. And some of them are very, I mean, they're very well written, very well researched. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. Sure. I think there's a difference between panicking, like freaking out and saying, oh my gosh, I need to fire six of my employees and only have three. There's a difference between panicking and reading the signals in your business. We had a, a board meeting yesterday with a company in our portfolio that I actually think we'll do quite well in a recessionary environment. Like they, they are tied very specifically to generating revenue for their clients. And we had a big debate of, should we be slowing down? Everything you read says, conserve cash, make sure you got 24 or 36 months of cash. My only caution is, I don't think you can apply that universally. It's going to be more difficult to raise money. It's going to be more difficult to borrow money. You may indeed have some customers who go out of business. Like those are all cautionary things, but you have to read the signals of your business. In this particular company, their pipeline is as healthy as ever. They've got new reps who are hitting quota and performing. Like that, you know, that business, we haven't seen the signals. So for that CEO, that leadership team, what's most important is reading the signals. What is our business going to tell us? that starts to signal some softness, that starts to signal some weakness, at which point maybe we pause hiring, maybe we do some things that are more dramatic. But the, the paintbrush that just says, everything's going down, you know, pause, I think that's pretty risky. We feel that on the marketing side too. Obviously sure. we, we play in one little slice, which is the PR side, but there's that knee-jerk reaction too of let's cut spending and marketing is oftentimes one of the first areas that they look at. And I could make the same argument of, yeah let's take a look at what's happening because there actually might not be a better time to continue or invest more yes. to strengthen your position in your category than right now when yes. others are pulling back, yeah. but we get that blanket. Are you starting also. to get that? Are people starting to call you and say, Hey, we need to talk. Like, is that happening yet? Not in yet. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. We've, where we've seen it is really more on the prospecting side where we're working with a company that's chasing a series C or a series D. And they've said, we've actually paused this for now mm. because our fundraise has been 
yeah. delayed. So there, we're seeing it more of the effects of those new conversations, um, not so much with our, our current clients, yeah. but we're aware right. what's going on. Right. We're, we're definitely not playing, you know, ostrich head in the sand. Yes. But we we see it. Uh, you mentioned looking at signals. Uh, I want to switch to more of the positive side of the house. Yep. What are some of the signals that you look for, the triggers that you look for when you know it's time for one of your companies to sell? I would say the most important signal is from the leadership of the business. It's interesting as a board member, you feel very connected. You've often been part of the journey of the company, but you are not running the company as much as sometimes that's difficult. That's true, right? You're not running the company. So to me, that, that first signal is, what does the CEO want to do? What's the leadership team want to do? And over time, I think you can tell where their head is. Is their head like, wow, so-and-so sold their business? Or, man, I got another call the other day of somebody that said, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're interested in, in talking to us about a partnership. Or, no, we're going. The pedal's down. We crushed another quarter. We're hiring X more people. And, and so you, it's kind of reading the room within, within the board. And, and that's true of other investors and so forth too. But, but first and foremost, just kind of where the leadership team is of the business. And I think there's a saying with M&A of companies are bought, not sold. And it's a little bit cliche. It's also very true. It is difficult to hang a for sale sign on your business and say, gosh, this seems like a good time. Maybe you'd like to buy my business. You, you are not going to maximize value in that instance. People who buy companies for a living are trained to interpret that signal in a very specific way, right? If you've got a sign that says, ah, yeah, we're for sale. I read weakness, blood in the water, almost out of cash, weak leadership, like that. that's what I read. So there is a dance mm -hmm. to say, well, We've had some inbound interest and we're really not interested in selling, but we've got a responsibility to check it out and to hear you out if you're interested in buying the business. And I think that's a bit nuanced, but it, it's really important because there's no formula for buying or mm -hmm. selling a company. So as a board member, first look to read the leadership team and what their interests are and kind of where they are with gas in the tank and energy for the business. And then secondly, to kind of handle that communication in a way that says, you know, you, you might be able to buy our company, but, but we're not hanging a for sale sign on it. Thanks again to Mike for joining me on SAS Half Full, or what I turned into a SAS Half Full episode during his fireside chat in person in our office at Blast Media. Really appreciate his insights. I loved how he used analogies throughout and also like that he pushed the don't panic button and instead suggested to look at the signals coming out of your business. Always appreciate the listen. Until next time, bottoms up.